0: Welcome to the Annie gamers podcast. This is episode number 140. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me today is a special guest. Uh, Welcome to the show for the very first time. It's uh, Helen from the OASG and the Manga in Your Ears podcast. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: I wanted to have Helen on because she is a big fan, as I am, of the manga that we are reviewing this episode, Witch Hat Atelier very excited to be finally uh, talking about this on the show I think I might have I might have made reference to it uh, in maybe last episode uh, because we talked about another title from the same artist but I haven't had a chance to really like dig into it and talk about it
1: and I'm just a huge fan of this manga I will take basically any opportunity I get to talk about just how much I love witch hat
0: (laughs) oh yeah for sure uh, so, but before we get into the main review, we're going to do a Q segment. Uh, David is is uh, taking a little break, so he's not with us this episode, but we're going to hear from what Helen is up to uh, lately. I'll start, though, because I've got one anime that, that Helen is definitely watching, uh, which is uh, the probably like the talk of Anna Twitter, I would say. It's the most talked about show I've seen, at least on my feed uh, right now which is uh, Decadence, the current seasonal anime. This show, it's the, the Decadence twist is like the talk of the town, I would say, right? That's what everyone is kind of like, if past week or so, everyone's been talking about.
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny when I watched it. Uh, I hadn't seen anyone else tweeting about it in the morning, so I think I was one of the first people to watch it. And so I get a couple minutes into the second episode and I'm like, I need to go see if people are talking about this on Twitter. And I missed it. Or what? Am I just having, like, some sort of, like, very vivid hallucination right now? I don't think I've been so thrown by a twist since Samurai Flamenco, honestly.
0: Oh, you know, I know, I don't think I ever watched Samurai Flamenco, but I'm aware of what the twist is, which always, like, sounded fun to me. I just never got around to watching it.
1: Well, the real twist to Samurai Flamenco is that it um, has twists, like, every three episodes at one point, which hopefully Decadence won't be doing, because that was exhausting
0: yeah i mean that might be the case we don't really know right because we're only like we're only two episodes in as of right now uh but yeah we we're not going to spoil the twist uh i will just say that the show is uh uh, when when you start watching the show what you will see is is a, a pretty well executed uh somewhat standard kind of attack on titan looking thing it's you know people in a Kind of sort of like a walled city. They're in like a, a giant uh, like fortress, a moving, a Howl's Moving Castle. We're using that as a generic term now. It's, it's basically <laughs> like Howl's Moving Castle. It's like a big moving fortress. And uh, and there's monsters outside and they have to fight them off with kind of, uh, what would you call They're like almost anti-gravity kind of gourds on their back.
1: Yeah, something like that. And I actually never got into Attack on Titan, so I totally didn't even make that connection until I saw other people saying it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is kind of like that.
0: Yeah, the sort of the, the way that they can sort of fly, effectively fly around, right? Like the same way that they do in Attack on Titan. Uh, so, you know, if, if you if you see that and you kind of go, ah, whatever, that's not really my speed, I, do, I will just say give it a shot. Uh, episode one at least gives you some teases for the fact that that is not, all that is going on in the show and there's there's something else kind of under the surface and I was very pleasantly surprised with with how uh how out there it it kind of goes so I feel like we we don't want to spoil too much here but yeah
1: I honestly liked the first episode anyway um I thought the character they were focusing on Natsumi was just as fun energetic go-getter and I thought it looked good um but that's just not the whole show and once I saw the second episode, I was telling all my friends, okay, mute every word related to this you can think of on Twitter. Don't go looking for it. And then I've had a couple of friends text me over the past couple of days just going, what?
0: Yeah, that's what I would definitely recommend to people. Like, like people yelled at me when I, you know, I heard about the twist and I was tweeting and, and people were like, watch it immediately before anybody can spoil you. And I am now recommending that to all of our listeners. Uh, just... It's like watch two episodes and and just get that out of the way so that nobody spoils you and then decide if you want to watch more of <laughs> it. Yeah, um, and I, yeah, I do, do agree the production's pretty nice. It's uh, the director is Yuzuru Tachikawa, who's the director of um, both seasons of Mob Psycho one hundred as well as Death Parade, which I really like, and that's that's an original, so that's maybe more indicative of Tachikawa's style.
1: And someone else I saw on Twitter pointed out that Death Parade had. Not a bait and switch going on in its first two episodes, but you've got your first episode and then a second episode, which reveals even more than what the audience expected. So it's like, ah, should have expected this. Okay, by the time this guy makes his third original anime, I'll be waiting for it. I'll be expecting something wild early on.
0: Yeah, I guess he kind of doesn't like to give you the whole premise right off the bat.
1: Which I've done well is pretty entertaining as a viewer, anyway.
0: All right, so that's Decadence. That's the only thing I'm watching this season. In terms of like seasonal anime, I am like, you know, watching older stuff. I just watched like completely untopical older things. I watched like the 2003 Blackjack special on Crunchyroll. But uh, what are you watching that's actually relevant for modern anime?
1: Relevant might be a bit of a stretch here, but I'm keeping up (laughs) with a couple of the simulcasts. Um, I'm a pretty big Precure fan, so I'm excited that Crunchyroll has managed to finally snag a simulcast of the current iteration, which is called Heal and Good Pretty Cure.
0: Yeah, I'm not watching it, but I'm very happy that they've got it.
1: The one issue for me, though, is that this is the first pre Cure series in like six or seven years that I haven't like really, really loved. Like if this wasn't getting simulcast, I was thinking of like mm. maybe just sort of dropping it, watching it in the background. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to watch it. got to get those views up on Crunchyroll. And I'm like, oh, why couldn't they've done this like a year earlier?
0: Yeah, what was I mean, I, do you generally follow... Precure, you've watched like the previous years,
1: yeah. Um,
0: so, what was like the recent good one? I don't. I'm not like kind of in the the community there, so I really haven't kept track. I know, I know one of the older ones that what is it? Is it Heartcatch that's got like the really like uh, fun that one
1: was really Desires. stylish. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, the one from two years ago called Huguto Hug Precure was really surprisingly good. It kind of had a theme of like looking to the future. Um, And having hope in some ways, since in that case, the series of villains was literally this villainous corporation from the future that was trying to stop time and take away everyone's hope. So it felt um, (laughs) very millennial in some ways. But yeah, I'm like, oh, I wish that would have been the one that was simulcast. And so it just could have gotten more word out. But I know that parts of Crunchyroll Europe have been getting one of the older shows. So I'm wondering if Toei is doing like ab testing of their shows or something and i'm hoping that they'll be able to add in some of the back catalog although probably not all this is it's like 15 shows by this point <laughs>
0: I, I feel like i didn't see people mentioning this and and uh, yeah i think i did just check crunchyroll and they still have it like crunchyroll has um what's it futariwa pretty cure like the very first pretty cure on the site they've had it for years but the quality
1: is really terrible. It's like 480. Oh, it sucks.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very low quality. But it is there. I, I watched a couple episodes of it years ago, and I liked it quite a lot.
1: Yeah, I know there was an HD rebroadcast in Japan, but Crunchyroll's never gotten it, so they still just have 480 streams.
0: <laughs> All right. So, watching Pretty Cure. Uh, got a couple other things right on your list.
1: Yeah, I'm still keeping up with the New Fruits Basket, and I'm still enjoying it. But I've been watching the English dub since... The first Fruits Basket was like one of the very first anime I ever watched. I watched it dubbed. So I have like a lot of nostalgia for that dub cast. But since everybody is now working from home, the simul dubs have slowed down. So I'm not catching that as frequently, which is fine. I understand. But just means that sometimes I go, oh, there's a new episode. How nice. I didn't expect that. And I'm also watching the latest in the Gundam Build franchise, which is Gundam Build Divers Rise.
0: There's so many levels of, like, sub-franchises going on now with these names.
1: Yeah. Um, that one was a split core, so it came back for, like, a couple episodes in the spring before I had to go on hiatus because, again, COVID. And I kind of admire this series because at the end of the first core turned out, oh, these characters aren't actually playing in the video game like they thought. They have actually been sort of isekai to another world, which is the kind of gutsy twist I appreciate. And I feel like it actually made the show a little better. But it's only been back for like a couple of episodes now, so we still got to see where it's going to go. I'm also of the opinion that Gundam build it like the very first season was good and then like every iteration afterwards has been less good sadly
0: i feel like we have to get tom asnable back in here to answer my question which is is this the first gundam show to ever be an isekai to be like uh i feel like i should translate because not all of our listeners are always going to know what isekai means uh, like transported to another world show has there ever been a gundam show that has done that i know there's there's all the um there's like garzi's wing is is basically isekai but that's tomino non-gundam content what about gundam
1: yeah i don't think gundam's had any other portal fantasies like i know they've had some weird things going on of timelines but i don't think actually going to another planet and not being aware of it (laughs) has happened before
0: yeah maybe turn a gundam is one of the closest in terms of kind of like fish out of water guy from the moon uh in on earth but that's still the same universe he didn't travel between dimensions mm-hmm, yeah all right so that's some of the anime that we have uh, been checking out i think it's time to get into the main attraction of this episode our review of witch hat atelier to start with am i saying that right i feel like i i every time i say the word atelier i'm like am i i must be saying that word wrong but i think i looked it up and that is the way to say it
1: you were asking the wrong person i did not take <laughs> french and french words just baffle me on a general
0: Uh, I did, I did take French in high school and I have forgotten all of it. What, what space my brain has for second languages has been crowded out by Japanese. So that's all I got now.
1: Yeah. I was one of the cool kids who took Latin instead and had a really fun time with it. So I just have no idea how French is pronounced.
0: Yeah. Uh, so what is this thing? Witch Hat Atelier is an ongoing fantasy manga series by Kamome Shinohama, uh, and it started running in 2016 in the magazine Morning 2, which is a Kodansha magazine, and it's published here in the US by uh, Kodansha Comics, which brings me to my disclaimer here. You may remember, old anti-gamers heads may remember years ago when I had to like, put disclaimers about me working at Crunchyroll. Uh, in this case, I do freelance work for Kodansha Comics, so uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm obviously not reviewing this in any capacity for them, but just uh, just so people know that there is a connection there. Uh, I'm reviewing it because I just really fucking love this manga.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a similar disclaimer, which is that I actually do get free review copies of this since I do reviews of it for the OASG. But I think anyone who's read my reviews over there knows that I will be very harsh on series I don't like, regardless of whether or not someone has provided me review copies. So I did get to read these for free but my love for it is genuine.
0: So kind of going through some more just basics about it. uh, The author, Shidahama is, uh, is, she kind of has has an interesting uh, set of work. Uh, One of the things that like, if you look her up, one of the big things that you find associated with her name is that she's done variant covers for us superhero comics. And I I checked a couple of them out they're They're the art is great. Uh, As we'll get into the art in this thing is incredible. She's like a really, really talented artist uh, and she has a few earlier series, including one that I mentioned last episode that just got licensed called uh, Eniale and Dewiella, which is basically like Kamome Shirahama does, does Panty and Stocking is what it appears to be. <laughs> uh, that just got licensed by Yen Press. So now we're going to have two things from her out in, in English, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I know she was supposed to come to TCAF this year as their one manga guest, but sadly TCAF got canceled. So... I am really hoping she comes next year. Like, as soon as I saw that announcement, I was pulling out my phone at work just very quickly Googling to figure out, okay, would a plane ticket for me <laughs> from DC to Toronto even be feasible in my budget?
0: All right, so so what is Witch Hat Atelier about? Uh, as I mentioned, it's a fantasy series. It takes place in... Not real Europe, but sort of fantasy Europe, right? Very, very European esque setting.
1: Very pastoral.
0: Yeah, very pastoral. Where there's there's kind of like a lot of rolling hills and things and farmland, and it centers around witches. But in, a, in an interesting like nomenclature thing, witches is a non-gendered term in this universe, so it refers to to. Both male and female uh, users of magic, and they basically they're they're this kind of secretive sect of magic users, and they kind of come in and out of towns and and work their magic and help people. There, as we learn, there's kind of these like limitations on what kind of magic they're allowed to use, and especially limitations on who is allowed to use magic. And you kind of have to be inducted into this order uh, in order to to learn how to use magic. But there, there is a sort of chapter one twist that we we pretty much have to spoil to talk about this in any, in any significant capacity. The at the beginning of the manga, the implication is that you need to have some sort of mystical power in order to use magic, and only only the witches have that power. But uh, our our main character Coco, who kind of like wishes she was a witch, she, she has all these these dreams of of doing magic, discovers that the secret of witches is that they're not drawing from some internal power within themselves. All they're doing is drawing, quite literally, symbols with a special kind of ink. And the act of drawing those symbols creates the magic, which the the danger of that is that anyone could do magic as long as they can draw. But that's also kind of the possibility of it. So once she learns that, she's able, well, she makes a big mistake, sets off a very dangerous spell uh, and basically ends up being forced now to join the witches and train as, a, uh, as an apprentice. And uh, what, you, what you may notice in that premise, which we will definitely get into, is that it's a pretty direct metaphor for art. It's this idea that anyone can be an artist, you just need to practice, and it's not something that is a magical power hidden within certain people. It's just a thing that you can kind of work at and get better at.
1: And that the tools you use are important to a degree...
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Right. You can't just use it. You, it's not just drawing any picture. It is like a certain kind of ink that makes it work.
1: Yeah. And Coco discovers this by accident. Uh, she has been working at her mother's fabric shop, I think, and a passing witch offers to repair uh, a broken carriage and she spies on him and discovers him drawing. And Coco then makes a the connection that, oh, this book of symbols that she had gotten years earlier from a passing witch with a wand that actually had been a guidebook and it wasn't a wand at all, it was actually a pen. And that's how Coco engages in some very dangerous magic. And this passing witch, Quifery, he manages to put the pieces together and get Coco out before she petrifies herself, essentially. And so now he's taken her under his wing in hopes that she'll someday be able to undo the petrification magic and quiffery also he's got an idea of who gave coco that book there's this internal divide between witches and there's some bad witches and there's some good witches and quiffery seems to have a bit of a maybe not a grudge but like a vengeance against these
0: other witches yeah we don't we don't really know what's up with him yet and it's 6 volumes in in the english release but there's there's something up he has he has some kind of fixation on these other witches
1: yeah so i remember that was part of the tension for me when i was re- reading the first few volumes It was that you could always tell that this thought was in the back of Quiffery's mind, that Coco is his best lead towards finding these brimmed hat witches, as they're called. And I was thinking, is he just using her as a tool? Does he really care for her? Um, And I think after five volumes, I haven't read the six yet, but I think after five volumes, I can say that he is genuinely a good guy. He's just Mm -hmm. also got some vengeance on the mind.
0: He has some kind of like dark past or something. Uh, He kind of... I, I will say uh st- design wise, problematic reference incoming. Uh he he kind of reminds me of the uh the wife. Oh what is it? The the he looks like the brother of Kenshin's wife from Maroni Kenshin, in like the final arc of Kenshin, the bad guy from that. You know what I'm talking about? I have read
1: Kenshin, but it's been a while, so I don't quite remember that design. He
0: has like sort of scruffy white hair and round glasses, and so he's like Quiffrey gave me a very similar vibe to that.
1: I was just going off the whole, hmm, white-haired pretty boy from anime should keep a closer eye on this guy. I was just going off that basic trope.
0: He definitely is like a a pretty boy. When he showed up, I was like, oh my, this is going to be a popular character.
1: (laughs) Oh, and he's also got like the eye patch over one eye or something, so he's got that mysterious vibe to him as well.
0: Wait, he has an eye patch? Hold on.
1: Well, I don't know if it's exactly an eye patch, but one of his lenses is kind of blacked out.
0: Yeah. So, so you mentioned the uh, the brimmed hats, and one of the things that I think is interesting about this world, just while we're talking about the setting, is that it it has a certain almost. It's it's not literally this, but it, it gives me a certain sense of being almost like a like a a world of magic that is an era after the the time period you would see in most fantasy. So the whole idea of the brimmed witches is they're like an older kind of witch that like and they, the reason they're called the the brimmed hats is because they wear hats with brims on them and the the kind of like ruling order of witches I believe isn't it like the they they're not allowed to have brims on them, right? That they, they have to be these kind of like cone hats. And it's kind of this symbolic representation of them leaving behind a certain kind of magic that can that's forbidden like magic that can affect the human body or the the human mind or things like that
1: and also just a general idea of not concealing who you are since we meet a couple of rimmed hat witches and they usually have like a couple other levels of disguise going on as well
0: yeah it's interesting because it's like they are basically the witches you would see in other fantasy works right like, they, mm-hmm. they kind of represent the classical witch. But the the this ruling group of witches is this new school of witches, like, compared to what you're used to in other fantasy works. And the bad guys are the old kind of witch.
1: And in some ways, it gets interesting since, like Evan mentioned at the top of the show, uh, rules about how magic work are kept very secretive from the general public. It's not common knowledge at all that anyone could do that. And that was instituted by witches at some point in the past. I got the impression it was like a couple hundred years ago after some particularly bad fights um, in between witches. And so as a result, they made it much harder for regular people to learn about magic. And they also banned some forms of magic, uh, notably stuff like healing. But these brimmed hat witches, they don't think that any magic should be banned. It should come all back out into the open. And so they seem to see Coco as his kind of savior for some reason, which is big so far.
0: Yeah, it's, that part is a little bit weird. Like, uh, that's actually one of the things I'm not as big a fan of is, is that uh, I intend to not be a huge fan of kind of like chosen one stories. And Coco is kind of being set up as some kind of chosen one. Um, but I do find it really interesting that at first you see the brimmed witches as being these kind of chaotic forces, right? Where they're just like, we just want to fuck shit up, right? We want to like just see a bunch of weird magic. But as it goes on, it starts to be like I started to be a little bit convinced. I'm like, you know, yeah, like some of this stuff, like why can't these characters do healing magic, right? Why why can't they uh use this power for good? But of course, the whole idea is that the the power can sort of uh give and take, right? And and it's once you start messing with the human body, even if it's for medicine, you're sort of going down a, a slippery slope.
1: And if a spell goes wrong, you really don't want it going wrong on a person. It's one thing when Coco is having some trouble learning the first spells, and so she'll draw like a wind a sigil, and it'll blow out more in one direction than the other. It, it's one thing when it's that. It's another thing when it involves actual people. But yeah, I think... I don't know if there's, been a, if there's going to be a specific reason why it's Coco herself who seems to be this hope for the Brimmed Witches. Or if they're going to go with the more general idea of Coco is this outsider, she has new ways of thinking and viewing, which definitely plays into the whole witchcraft as a metaphor for art idea, since Coco is the one who comes in and doesn't immediately think like a lot of the other witches, just since she doesn't have the same background, she's used to using different tools. And that's both a strength and a weakness. It's not just solely a strength, the way some people would make it.
0: Yeah, so that's actually... Like narratively, that's one of the most charming aspects of this story. Uh, we haven't introduced yet the other um, the other apprentices who are part of this atelier, which is uh, it, it's um, atelier, right? So they're the other apprentices who are also training under him, and they're they're all they're all kind of around the same age. They're like basically twelve or thirteen year old girls, and they they each kind of represent a different approach. To art, very very transparently, I would say, like at at points, the manga almost feels a little didactic because it's like very on the nose about its art metaphor. Uh, so Coco is, like you said, kind of this outsider who is kind of learning how to do art or magic, as it were, as she goes. Uh, we, I think, the probably the the most prominent other one is, am I saying this right? Agate, A G O T T. I think
1: so. It reminds me of the stone. But it's spelled differently, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And she's kind of the haughty, very tsundere character, right? Where like eventually they kind of they kind of warm up to each other and become friends. But she, is, she really doesn't like Coco. And she is training harder than anybody else to be the absolute best. But she's kind of, she can be a little bit rigid, right? And so she's kind of this like very technical witch who lacks a certain creativity.
1: Yeah, it's clear that she has a lot of natural talent, but she also works her butt off for it. And there's some hints that she was kind of rejected by her family, like she wasn't taught by some family members as was expected. And that seems to also be a general theme of Quiffery's atelier, that everyone seems to have come from unusual circumstances. And his atelier in general is a bit unusual. Most witches are in sort of this centralized Hogwarts-like location, but Quiffery's just out in the middle of the fields. Everyone's having a good time here away from the witches Council or think that's a term
0: for it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and that's all stuff that we kind of get introduced to later as we go but at first it's just them training at the atelier uh there's also tetia hope i'm it's hard to know how to pronounce these names because they're all in manga form uh and she is basically your 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 genki girl who's uh (laughs) she's like very energetic and uh and and friendly and and kind of you know whereas agate is is much much darker of a character who's kind of like a little bit resentful and stuff uh and tetia's whole thing is uh i mean effectively she's just like she just wants to make people happy right she's this very earnest like her her idea of magic is like i want to help people i want to make people happy i want to like this very positive vision of it uh and then there's rike again hope i'm saying it right uh, she's got like long straight hair. She's very, um, very like kind of like kind of quiet and a little bit morose. And she's the one. Uh, this is a, a very common like art artist archetype. Uh, <laughs> she's got the stuff that she likes to do, and she doesn't want to learn new things. She's she's good at what she does, and like that's it. And she's kind of like stuck in her ways.
1: Yeah, and I think like a lot of artist types, we eventually see that there's a reason she's kind of stuck in her ways. She's been burned before by some other witches slash art teachers, and so it really ta- <laughs> and so it really takes someone who's able to speak to her on her level and in terms that she can sympathize. We have to understand why. Oh, I do need to learn some more skills beyond the ones I can currently do, while also recognizing that. She's got a couple of like really good talents, like drawing really tiny spells, which are surprisingly useful.
0: (laughs) Well, that is one of the things that's, that's really fascinating about this is the magic system, right? So it's this whole set of, of sigils, these, these little like symbols that can be combined and, and reshaped and done in different sizes and things to create different effects. So it's like you do a a wind sigil, but you uh, combine it, you know, if you, I mean, I'm I'm trying I should have a specific example. you might remember some of them, but like, if you do a circle of little wind sigils, they'll like all they'll create like a a sort of you know column of air or something, right? And so it's like this creative combination of the different building blocks of the spells.
1: Yeah, when Coco's taking the first test, um, which I think is called something along the lines of the right to choose who your teacher will be, she's got to get to a very high up location, and so she takes like a sail and draws like a lopsided. Wind signal on it so that it will blow her in one direction and she's able to use that to fly up to the top. And we see like flashbacks of some of the other characters attempting that same test and they all took a very different route than Coco. So there's something very freeing in this sense of magic. It's basically as unlimited as your imagination is, provided that you're not like doing something with the human body. As long as you don't cross that line, you're good.
0: <laughs> but it has a logic to it, which is the thing that I, I really enjoy. Like so many fantasy stories that are about magic that, you know, that even when they do have some kind of magic system, it often still takes the form of it. It's effectively some kind of psychic power, right? It involves like the person's consciousness driving the magic in some form, right? They, they point their hand at something and they summon some fire or something like that. Uh, but in this case, it's it's extremely logical. It's very, and it's very, it's like rational, right? You're like, okay, you draw these things and they produce this effect. And if you draw them a little bit differently, they produce a slightly different effect.
1: Yeah. And we forgot to mention that since these witches can't show anybody how they do their magic, uh, to do magic in front of like muggles, um, they'll be draw, uh, drawing everything from memory without looking at it underneath their capes. So there's this element of like stage magic there as well which mm. I thought was a really neat detail once once someone pointed it out to me. and I, I thought of it.
0: it as a stage magic thing, but you're absolutely right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about uh, not deception, but like distracting the eye, making someone look somewhere else. Like um, Agatha does that at one point when Coco's trying to pull something off. She just goes very out of character to draw away people's attention so that they don't Mm. break that cardinal rule of magic and get Coco's memory erased since that's what happens if you break the rules of magic you get your memory erased and nobody wants that to happen
0: (laughs) yeah i feel like the the thing with it being a very logical magic system it makes me wish almost that that i could use this magic system in a video game or something because it has such a concrete set of rules that it it feels like you could actually kind of code up a system that would work like this where you could actually play around with it yourself as opposed to, you know, most other fantasy magic systems, the best that you would be able to do in terms of, like, a simulation of it would be, you know, press a button and shoot a fireball or, or, or something to that effect, right? But this, like, actually has a logic that could be simulated in a way that, like, I, you could experience it as, as a person in a world without magic, you know?
1: Yeah, I remember I played a bit of Okami, and I played the Wii version, so you were using the Wii remote to draw the symbols. So I feel like that's kind of similar, but I was really bad at it, so I didn't play much of it.
0: I admittedly have never played Okami, and it keeps being on sale on Switch, and I keep eyeing it up. Uh, that might actually sell me on it. I didn't really know m- much about the game other than it's good and kind of like the art style, which I knew about. But yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it plays on the Switch, but in the original Wii version, you hold the Wii mode, and you're trying to like replicate um, gestures to do things like move boulders and stuff like that.
0: So, let's let's stay on the story for a little bit, but we we need to do an entire discussion here of the art in this manga, which is as I've mentioned multiple times, pretty incredible. What do you think about the the kind of darker tone that it's building up? Because I I feel like at first it's it's very charming and there's a little bit, you know, hints of darker stuff, but it's um it feels more about kind of exploring this world, but especially in the I'd say like the most recent volumes, it starts to go into some pretty dark stuff. There's, there's like at least one character who who has a pretty, pretty sad fate happen to them at uh, at the end of one of the arcs. Uh, I
1: wasn't surprised by the tact it took, especially since the series does literally start with Coco not killing her mother, but getting very darn close to it, <laughs> and that is the driving goal of this whole series of we need to undo this. And to achieve this, Coco is going to have to take a very difficult path and be a little secretive about it as well. And I'm also used to reading like uh, some of the older children's books, like post-World War II, but pre-J.K. Rowling, where yeah, there's a lot of it's a very specific time period. And there's like some very kind of specific unexpected moments of darkness in there. Like some of the Diana Wynne Jones things would just pull things out out of So I I felt like the tone fits and in some ways it's also much more engaging to have it shift from a more lighthearted moment to a, oh yeah, but we still have this going on in the background.
0: Yeah. I also think it works. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's subtle enough as like a shift toward that darker stuff and there's always hints of it. It's not completely just like going from, from zero to 60. Uh, you, speaking of the light moments though, we haven't talked about just how, Charming Coco is as a protagonist. She's obsessed with magic. She's like a a, a a Magic nerd. She's basically a magic otaku, right? So every time someone does magic, she's like, oh my god That's so amazing. And she makes these great faces. Shirahama does these great like uh, very cute kind of like just different reaction expressions from her and she'll just obsess over, oh, how did you draw that? Like, I want to try to replicate that. Uh, and it's, it's, again, like a great metaphor for art and for like an artist who looks up to all of these other artists around them and kind of wants to replicate what they're doing.
1: Yeah, she's very authentically charming. And she doesn't feel flat the way that you might think that sort of the audience insert character in a story like this might feel like, which is sometimes things you come across and like... Magical girl shows, you know, you've got the outsider who's learning how to do magic for the first time. But here, Coco, well, she doesn't want to be the outsider forever. That's part of it. But yeah, she is very engaging and warm. And Shirahama does draw some really great faces. I know that my co-host, Justin, uh, we both review both of the volumes because we're both obsessed with this series. Like, for every single volume, he'll make a collage of all the good Coco faces in each volume, and it's just so much fun. Manga that can draw good faces are some of the best manga, I think we can all agree.
0: And yeah, those are a little bit more kind of cartoonish, those faces, as opposed to the rest of the art in here. Uh, I think last thing to talk about story-wise before we get to the art is uh, another thing that kind of develops in this is it, like you'd expect with this kind of fantasy world, it is introducing new parts of the world as it goes uh, and this is one area where I think it's very common for manga so this isn't like uh, it's not any worse at this than anything else but I guess I I, f- I found this a little bit jarring sometimes that it does the thing where like because it's introducing Coco and the audience to a whole new world of witches there will be entire segments of witch society that are extremely important. That you learn about, and someone's like, "Oh, you, you seriously didn't hear about this before, Coco?" And it's like, "Well, yeah. I mean, you obviously like didn't, you know, didn't tell us about it, uh, and you possibly didn't have it fully fleshed out or invented at this point of the story yet. So it kind of feels almost like a retcon. Like this is very common in a lot of manga that has a lot of world building like this. Like I said,
1: yeah, I think we brought up before the Knights Morales, who are sort of um, the magical enforcers. They're the ones who are making sure the witches aren't." breaking any rules by accidentally revealing how magic works or using forbidden magics. Um, And Coco doesn't seem to know about them by the start. But that actually didn't throw me too much since from what we see of Coco's life before, she and her mom didn't even live in a town. They lived like on the outskirts, way out there. I got the impression that Coco and her mom both kept to themselves a lot and just didn't know a lot about the world at large even. So I'm kind of less surprised when Coco doesn't know a lot of things. And also it's like, guys, you have a very purposefully secret society going on.
0: You should be concerned if Coco knows some
1: of these things already.
0: Yeah, it's not—it's not a huge problem. It's kind of one of the only things about it that that has given me any real pause. Is and again, it's—it's it's very common in manga. I think it's just a little bit of a pet peeve for me when it feels like the story is adding entire kind of organizations that are crucial to the way the world functions without anybody having mentioned them or even alluded to them beforehand. It, it just feels like, oh, the author just invented these. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, Shirahama has also set it up so that, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Coco's not even living in the heart of witch society. She's actually living, once again, kind of in the middle of nowhere, which is unusual with Quiffery and then another adult witch um, named Ulrugo. I think that's how you say that name.
0: Orugio, isn't it? It was an I? I think so. It might be Olrugo though. I might just have misread it. Classic, you know, names when when you're reading problem where you just get the wrong reading in your head.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, probably the classic Japanese author and Japanese publisher decide how to spell words in a language that's not Japanese. But anyway, they even have like in another witch on hand kind of to like keep an eye on each other.
0: So I keep talking about it. Now we gotta we gotta have a whole discussion here about this artwork. Shirahama's artwork is I, it's pro, this is I think I said this in our um, in our best of the uh, of twenty nineteen episode because I think I did talk about this a little bit in there. This is I would say one of the best looking manga I've read in years, in maybe a decade or something. I mean that it is if I, if I try to describe what it looks like, the art is something somewhere between like Kaoru Mori who's uh like a a bride story and um she did emma right
1: Mm -hmm. yep both of those
0: so somewhere between like her art and almost like a woodblock print or something it has this amazing like hatching uh for shading and things like that uh and it's just just incredible I've, i've never really seen anything like it
1: yeah an artist friend of mine said that they actually recognize some of the patterns they think that shirahama might be using something like clip studio paint to help do some of the textures. But I don't think that takes away at all from the level of detail, since it feels like there's never an empty background, the story flows well. And one thing I really noticed when I started reading the manga was the clothing, since I cosplay, which means I have a lot of experience in making anime bullshit happen. And I was looking at these outfits and I was going, you know, this all looks legit. Like she's using... Some fabric techniques that I don't usually see done in anime and manga, like smocking, which is something you actually did see um, in European clothing more in like the 1800s, kind of like that pastoral Europe.
0: Wait, can you describe what, what that is that you just said?
1: <laughs> smocking is, um, is a general term, um, kind of like embroidery is a general term. And it's manipulating fabric through tucks and folds and like very small stitches so you might get, um, well, if you, if you look at the dresses that um, Coco and the other uh, apprentices wear, the ones under their capes, you see that they have sort of a basket weave pattern on the top of their shirts. And that's an example of smocking. It's pulling the fabric around so that it doesn't lie in the way it normally does. And so it looks really cool. It's just time intensive. And I don't usually see people putting that into anime and manga because it's also time-intensive to draw. So you have to redraw it each time. But yeah, I just absolutely love the way she does outfits in this series.
0: I completely agree about the costumes. Yeah, I mean they're they're really intricate, and she has. A, I I would say I mean she's great at everything basically, like all the, the character art. Uh, but the things that stand out the most to me are are generally like things that flow right so she does really great effects for wind and water and things like that and for fabric like like she does just amazing kind of curved flowing shapes and things like that
1: yeah it really feels like she was in a good place artistically when she started this series like you don't feel like she's having to learn how to do a whole bunch of new things as she's going and there's nothing wrong with that It just makes her feel like, oh, this is someone who's already an accomplished artist. This isn't someone starting out on their first project. And to be honest, we don't know how many, um, if any, assistants she employs. I'm going to expect probably some just since that's the norm in manga.
0: And it has to, just with this amount of work going in, yeah, you have to imagine like for those backgrounds, there's somebody helping out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it still feels like an incredibly cohesive work. And it's just gorgeous to look at. Uh, I've been reading the digital copies of it, which is nice because then I can just zoom in all the way in the details. But I do wish it was getting like a hardcover release. I just sort of want like an oversized release to, again, just stare at for a while, you know, when you're feeling like it. Yeah,
0: also, the, the cover art is phenomenal. So it's, it's something I would love to have in, in hardcover on my shelf.
1: Yeah. And I know there's like variant covers because I've seen some of the French editions and they seem to have different covers as well. And there's also a spinoff of the series. I think drawn by somebody else, but it's a cooking manga.
0: Oh, I wasn't aware of that.
1: I'm like, that is totally up my alley. Can someone please license the witch hat cooking manga?
0: Something I wanted to mention about the art, because you kind of talked about how the, the backgrounds have so much detail. And I, I noticed something I, I really like about this that I tend to like in manga is when the artist is able to get a lot of shading and depth without overuse of screen tone. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there is screen tone in here and every manga basically has screen tone, but uh, she gets so much depth out of like hatching and other, other shading techniques in addition to like mostly using screen tone just for kind of separating elements like foreground and background elements in some situations. Uh, But you can look at these like, you know, just the interior of a building or something and, and she's getting most of the depth and the shading just from, from actual line work.
1: Yeah, agreed. It shows a real versatility to her talents and a real mastery of being able to use, you know, not only screen tones, which are especially these days really common, but also use these more perhaps time intensive pen and ink techniques. She also draws pretty good monsters. We've had a couple of monsters show up in the series so far and they've been good. And also some creatures. Like there's these, they look kind of like griffins except they're penguins, and they're absolutely adorable. I, as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, I'm going to take so many screenshots of these characters.
0: Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up, which does tie into, I think, one of our, our listener questions, is she, she has these moments, uh, sometimes in the chapter cover pages, but also often kind of just interspersed within the manga, where she kind of breaks out of the standard paneling structure and will do these inc- insanely intricate kind of framing devices and things where there will be, like, it, it looks like a, it's very designed after like a classical, like a European painting or something where there's just, there's all of this stuff on the edge that forms some kind of frame around the the central image and it'll be an illustration of, of like a, a creature or a tree or something and it's like fully detailed.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't feel like her paneling is the most inventive. Just since, I mean, of course, I've seen some manga where they're just doing wild things with the paneling all the time. But I feel like she doesn't need to. She's able to draw what works. And there's a very logical flow. You have no trouble figuring out which panel do I need to look at next? Oh, here's where the direction's going. So I feel like, yeah, she puts a lot of thought into everything, even those details around the edges like you mentioned which i hadn't even thought
0: about to, to call out who asked that question by the way the question was from a uh, coyboy bboy on uh, on twitter and it's one of the things i love about witch atelier is the creative paneling were there any particular pages or scenes where the panel layout stood out to you uh, so i guess we're sort of answering that now i'm just i'm flipping through right now to refresh my memory and like one it's relatively simple example that i think is a, a good one is there's a scene where they're talking about the the tools of witches and uh, uh, of course like Coco is freaking out about like how cool all of it is and and you know like she's a huge fan but uh when they showcase all of the tools I I think a a lesser manga artist would just put all of you know they'd put illustrations of the tools in a panel or they just like float it outside of a panel uh what she does is she puts it on a piece of parchment paper that is kind of partially unfolded. And it's fully illustrated, complete with like the, the little string with a tassel that would have been used to tie up the piece of parchment paper. So it's that kind of detail where she makes these scenes feel like they, even if they're not literally existing in the environment, they exist in some kind of like, you know, sort of quasi environment outside of the, the actual scene where they, there's texture and there's, there's like a tactile aspect to it.
1: Yeah, and having the foresight to lay out pages like that just does so much for reader immersion as well. Because then you aren't having the sort of meta moment of the characters talking about an item which isn't even appearing in their line of view. You've got like, oh, here's these tools that Coco is going to be using. One thing I did wish that this series did was allow Coco to be a little more experimental in her drawing of magic since we see in one of the first few chapters that coco is really good at measuring fabric since that's what she's been doing her whole life working in her mom's store and i was hoping we might be able to play into that and show her using like unusual tools because that's what she's more familiar with and more skilled but so far it looks like the series has dropped that idea sadly
0: yeah it is i, I do think that's a, a little bit of a an unfortunate aspect because it it it's seems to be more focused on the fact that her outlook is unique, right? And that she can take like a unique perspective that the other witches don't have, um, but a little less so about her actual art and, you know, her drawing of the sigils and things.
1: Yeah, because even though Coco is an outsider now, at some point she will become an insider to witch society, especially if she continues to go through all the tests and free her mother from magic. Like, unless she chooses to have her memories erased, she's probably gonna be living as a witch for the rest of her life now. This is sort of this choice that She didn't have a whole lot of choice in and now it's not draining her, but it's definitely changing her.
0: I think that that kind of covers most of it. The last thing that I will uh, I'll mention here before we move on to the to kind of like final thoughts and questions is every time I read this, every time I I crack open a new digital volume of it, I just ask myself, when are we getting an anime adaptation of Witch Atelier? (laughs) So you, you you agree, right? We should have an anime version.
1: Yeah, I think this series and Delicious and Dungeon are my two mm. I most want an anime for these properties. And at one point, I know it's because even as much as I yell about this manga on Twitter, I know some people won't just read it until an anime comes out. And I really just want more people to experience Witch Hat. And it'd also be fun to see the series in color since obviously this is a black and white manga and I feel like color would be really interesting in a lot of parts of it.
0: So here's my problem. Similar to our review of Chainsaw Man, I'm not confident that anybody can do this justice in animation. There's so much texture and depth and again, like this sort of tactile feeling to it and the way that she captures motion even in this this stationary medium, right? The way she can capture like a like a moving water effect or something. I, I just, I think you need, you would need something more than like a regular TV anime production to do this justice. You need a movie or something.
1: Yeah, you would need some really clever creative staff working on it. For texture, I did not see the Dorohydro um, adaptation just since that manga is not my thing. But I know a lot of people were talking about how well the textures came through and that, that, um, who did that? I think that was MAPPA, um, that they were able to, recreate the textures using a 3D sort of way and so I wonder if maybe in the near future stuff like the textures in Witch Hat won't be such a big issue as they currently look to be.
0: Okay I am usually the CG defender but I will say in this case I I don't think this is feasible but I think a Witch Hat Atelier anime should have no CG whatsoever like no 3D CG I mean 2D CG I'd be okay with but like this is a story about drawing and I don't think that 3d animation is a lesser form of animation but it's not drawing it's a it's a different way of creating animation and I, I want this to feel hand-drawn right if this ever gets animated because that's like the whole point that's like there's a kind of this great cohesion between the theme of it and Shirahama's art that she is such an incredible illustrator and so it's this story about art and about people getting better at art and i mean it just i don't think that they would work nearly as well if it were drawn by someone who was kind of like uh you know less experienced still figuring out their craft or something right
1: yeah and it's true that in general 3d cg anime just doesn't seem to be as detailed like i really enjoyed the um drifting dragons manga but i refused to watch the anime because that anime adaptation looks like butt and i'm really sad because there were some really great like beautifully detailed scenes in there and they just did not make the transition well because Polygon Pictures still has has exactly one character design
0: that, that's a great point in terms of like practically yes it, you know a lot of 3D CG anime doesn't look great but I mean even if you got the best version of 3D animation I think it wouldn't do this theme justice like when I when I watch Coco draw you know a, a line of ink I, I want it to feel like her hand was also drawn in ink you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, if we can't get an anime, I will settle for an oversized art
0: book. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think of who would be able to pull something like this off. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. but um, So the the art that I have seen from Children of the Sea seems like the, that's the, the level that I would want from something like this. I know that that does use uh, some 3D CG animation.
1: Yeah, maybe someday anime movies will be able to come out in the U.S. again, and we'll be able to actually see what that movie looks
0: like. <laughs> movies in general will be able to come out again at some point. Let's uh, let's do some final thoughts here. What what do we think of? Uh, we've already given most of our thoughts. What what is our final thoughts here on uh, on Witch Hat Atelier? Helen,
1: I love it. I would protect it with my life. I will proleptize about it to anyone who will stop long enough to listen. Uh, yeah, I, I, just want more of it all the time, but in like a safe, responsible way that does not give Shirahama like massive carpal tunnel from working on the series.
0: Yeah. Protect Shirahama's hands at all costs. Yeah. Uh, this is an incredibly charming story that I, I think does, you know, despite being a little on the nose, it does actually have a lot to say about art and about kind of creative pursuits and, and the way that people approach it. I think artists will find a lot here to relate to, uh, as as in, an sort of, uh, I guess, kind of amateur artist who is, you know, always struggling to get better. It's uh, it definitely speaks to me on that level. I think if you enjoy, we haven't really made a lot of comparisons to things, but if you enjoy stories like uh, like Little Witch Academia, this is less, much less cartoony than that, but in a somewhat similar vein uh, in terms of, you know, group of young girls learning magic. So this is probably right up your alley if if you enjoyed that and you'd like a beautifully drawn manga that is somewhat you know same kind of genre even if it's a slightly different tone.
1: Yeah, and we haven't even touched on some of the subplots that go on in just these first few volumes. There's a lot of depth under the surface here. I think that anyone who enjoys mostly lighthearted fantasy will just absolutely love this series. And the first volume is already on at least its fourth printing here in the U.S., so that's a good sign.
0: It's definitely you know we talked about there being different different kind of you know, lighter and darker parts of it. Uh, it. It is something I always pay attention to It's kind of like how compelled am I to keep reading something. Uh, and this is definitely a, a pretty compelling read. It has good like cliffhangers. And, you know, there is plot development. This is not a like a slice of life about people doing magic. This is this is definitely there. There is tension and danger and, and cliffhangers and things all over the place.
1: Yeah, and I think I would also feel confident in giving this book to a middle schooler to read, which is always nice. It's something that I think it would just be a very fulfilling story for a lot of people of all different ages.
0: So yeah, definitely check this out. Uh, Highly recommended. I believe this has a print. This has print editions, right? In addition to digital.
1: Yeah, I know. Volume 6 is out digitally, but it's been pushed back for print because COVID and printers. But yep, it is coming out in both formats here in the US.
0: Cool. Great. All right. So let's hit some questions before we get out of here. Uh, i know we we did answer a non-patron question up there in the main section but here in the question section we are going to start with one of our uh one of our patrons we give a priority when answering questions to folks who are uh, are subscribed on the Annie gamers patreon patreon.com slash so we'll start here with Enazel from twitter uh regular questioner here thanks for sending a question Enazel. he says which hat is the best we agree Uh, art at its best also agree uh what is your take on the pointed hats i think he's talking about like the brimmed hats uh are they good or bad depending on your point of view
1: oh i thought he just meant like pointed witch hats in general which i was gonna say yes pointed witch hats are good
0: yeah no i'm into i'm into pointed witch hats uh i feel like sometimes stories about witches kind of are like oh that's that's played out we're gonna do something else but uh it, it works pretty well I, he's probably not ask, actually asking about the hats, but we're talking about it anyway. It it works pretty well here because it's it's not just doing like the standard witch hat. It's actually using it as kind of a a part of the world building, right? That like the different choice of hat represents something about the person's philosophy about magic.
1: Yeah, and full um, witches who've gone through all the tests that are full blown witches get to design their own hats. So I love yes, that one of Coco's fellow apprentices, Tesha. She's like, I'm going to design a hat with two points on it. And it, there's like a little image in there of like a very silly, like medieval looking witch hat. And I'm like, you know what? Rock on. That looks great.
0: And it's because she has the two pigtails, right? So she's like sort of mirroring her haircut. It's very cute. Um, in terms of the brimmed caps, uh, I think I've talked about them a bit. What's your take on them in terms of like good or bad?
1: It's, it's like you have some good ideas, but you're going about a very bad way to make any of them actually happen. They're very much chaotic. I think you used that term earlier on, since a couple of them seem to be interested in Coco's progress. And so their idea of this is, let's accidentally or accidentally on purpose teleport Coco and her friends to a pocket dimension and have them fight a dragon. And it's like, this is not a good (laughs) way to make things happen if you're pinning your hopes for something on her. Like... Throwing children into the way of Dragus is not a good way to do this.
0: Yeah, they're definitely pretty clearly bad guys. I mean, they, their philosophy has a certain logic to it, you know, especially later on. But uh, they're not—they're not good guys. They're—they're they're doing some bad shit in this manga.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not always advocating for work inside the system to change the system, but their version of working outside the system seems to be uh, kind of self-defeating for everybody.
0: It does seem like, however, the, the story is probably heading towards some kind of synthesis, right? So it's not just going to be about Coco upholding the current system, which you can already start to see cracks of it in the, the volumes that are out. But it's going to be some kind of combination where she learns something from the philosophy of the brimmed caps, but also, like, takes something from the philosophy of the, the like, unbrimmed standard witches.
1: I mean, if anything the magic she needs to cast to reverse the petrification on her mother is going to have to be a banned spell because it was a banned spell in the first place.
0: That's true. Right, right, right. Uh, Okay, so we'll do a quick answer for for a non-patron here from uh, Nikki Enchilada on Twitter. Uh, Who is best witch dad?
1: Both Quifery and Aruguro are pretty good. And then there's that lady, I forgot to look up her name, the one who's administering the second test.
0: Oh, she's good. Yeah, She's a pretty
1: good witch mom. They're all good. I think like basically every other adult witch we've seen though has been like a bad witch parent
0: yeah there's the worst one which is that that guy who's who brings his apprentice to the test uh the second test yeah who's just like shitting on his uh <laughs> shitting on his apprentice the whole time <laughs> yeah i think i gotta go with quiffrey uh i like him a lot he's uh he's a great he's a great teacher character you know he's very patient and and like kind of helps coco through a lot of stuff and and helps the the rest of the kids kind of like get along and and learn from each other but he's also like a lot of kind of anime manga teacher characters you know male teacher characters he's like a little bit you know maybe is isn't always paying enough attention right like a little a little absent-minded he's kind of charming i like him
1: yeah and then like i said early on i was sort of unsure about his character i wasn't sure how much he was just using coco but we see him basically put his life on his lot on the line to protect the apprentices and i'm like okay yeah he's a good witch dad he, he's genuine about this
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, that is it for us. Before we head out, Helen, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, people can find me online way too much. Honestly, I should not be online as much as I am. But you can find me doing light novel and manga reviews, including reviews for Witch Hat over on theoasg.com. I'm also the co-host of the OASG's podcast, which the full name of it of is It's Not My Fault The OASG Podcast is Not Popular. I was not a part of the naming choice for this. I came on afterwards. It makes it really hard to tell people how to find the podcast. Um, And I'm also on another podcast called Mong in Your Ears, which is just much easier to find. You can find that one on Twitter at Mong in Your Ears. You can find the OASG on Twitter at the OASG. And you can also find my personal thoughts on Twitter at Wandering Dreamer, where you can find me making takes such as, should we change um, the term geezer in animated boomer? I I had that thought earlier today.
0: (laughs) For like Oyaji? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, one other place where you can find Helen that I neglected to mention in the intro, if you're looking for more Helen and Evan discuss something on a podcast content, is you can check out uh, my His Dark Materials podcast, Shadow Particles, where we covered, uh, I, I covered all eight episodes. It was eight, right? All, yeah, all eight episodes of uh, the first season of His Dark Materials. And I think I am still planning to return for the next season when that comes out later this year. Uh, but Helen was on, I forgot to check which episode, but Helen was on one of those episodes where we talked about more more fantasy stuff, so it's similar kind of subject matter.
1: Yep, and I am definitely looking forward to that show coming back, and I really hope they announce soon that they're just going to make a third season because if they cut the show off after two seasons, I'm going to be very sad.
0: Don't get me started. I'm like losing sleep every night thinking about them not adapting all the stuff in that third book of His Dark (laughs) Materials. As for me, I uh, am writing for Otaku USA magazine and uh, sometimes for, well, I've been infrequently for OUSA, uh, occasionally recently for, uh, for Anime News Network as well. And uh, I do have animeburgertime.tumblr.com, very sporadically updated. We have a Patreon here at Annie Gamers, and we could really use your support. Uh, it helps us pay for uh, for hosting the site, as well as paying our contributors, uh, folks like Pat, who is helping to edit the show. Uh, just really helps us kind of keep things going here. Uh, that is Gamers and if you subscribe there, you get some some bonus uh, content including bonus articles and podcasts and, uh, and access to polls in there. And in fact, the choice to review which Hat Atelier is partially driven by uh, its votes from a Patreon poll. So that, that was like we asked people for what to review next. Uh, and if you subscribe at the $5 level, you get a single-use golden ticket that allows you to force us to review something. You don't even need to go through the polling process. You can just make me do something, which is dangerous.
1: Capitalism at its
0: finest. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Selling my soul for, for five measly dollars.
1: Oh, are you going to be doing any of your panels at that Otacon Online convention in a couple of weeks? Thank
0: you for reminding me. I mean, I totally remembered and had it in the notes. Yes, I did submit two panels for Otacon Online, the uh, the online version of, of Otacon due to COVID, which is going to be... Oh, I should remember the dates. It's early August, I believe. So I, I had to submit these two half-hour versions of panels. One is Anime Before Astro Boy, which I've run before, which is a history panel that covers only the anime that came out before the anime that everyone likes to say is the first anime. Uh, just me being a, a little bit of a pedant there, I guess. That's a really fascinating one. I hope people enjoy it. And the other one's brand new. It's called Frame by Frame Anime Shot Breakdowns. That one is it's an animation panel, but instead of going over the, the principles of animation, what I do is I pick three clips and then i actually have broken them down and gotten screenshots of individual frames and then i walk through and kind of like talk through uh how the animator moves the character and and that kind of thing it's that one hopefully very educational for folks about how the animation process works
1: yeah i'm definitely looking forward to both of them i was just thinking that sometimes you run anime burger time at physical oticon and just how hard it is to sneak food into the uh DC Convention Center?
0: Yeah, I mean, people are probably curious about Burger Time and like whether I'm going to do it again this summer. I, I think I might not. Uh, my current logic is that I-, I tend to run Burger Time, you know, at multiple conventions because it tends to be for multiple audiences, right? So it's unlikely that you will watch it twice in the same year. But for online conventions, it- it's a lot of the same people who can watch it, right? So. It, it sort of reduces a little bit of the magic if you're watching it like three separate times over the course of the summer. Uh, so I did do it at Anime Lockdown. Uh, I mean, I I have that video, so I might maybe maybe I can make that available in some other form for folks. Uh, anyway, you can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Annie Gamers Discord on AnnieGamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anigamers.com. We have not read an email in a long time, so uh, feel free to send that in. It doesn't have to be about the topic of the show. It could be about anything. You can talk to me on Twitter. I am at sign Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O, AnnieGamers is at sign AnnieGamers, one word. And I'm on Mastodon at Vamptvo at mastodon.social. Uh, Finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and Spotify. I keep saying Google Music. Google Music is dying or dead. But we are on Spotify, so that's cool. Uh, And leave us some reviews on iTunes to help more people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Helen, for coming on the show and helping me to promote this fantastic manga that everybody should read.
1: Yes, we are now expecting everybody to go out right now. Check it out from your virtual library i guess go buy it online something
0: if you have to go out wear a mask
1: you know it's a metaphor you know it's a term we used in the before
0: times Mm -hmm. all right we'll see you all again in about two weeks later